The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from two passages in connection with the first petition, our Father who is in heaven, pardon me, with, with the address to the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven, coming before the first petition. We'll be reading together from Luke chapter 2, the verses 41 to 52, and you'll be able to find that on page 1181 of your pew Bible. Just, just previously to this in the Gospel of Luke, the author Luke has spoken of uh, the recognition of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, particularly by Anna and Simeon who were in the temple. And Simeon in the temple has said, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. He is seen and recognized as a remarkable child. Now we come to to verse 41. This is many years later. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. He said, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. We'll next read from Romans, the letter to the Romans written by the Apostle Paul, and we'll be reading Romans chapter 8, the verses 12 to 17. And you'll be able to find that on page 1300. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So far, the word of God. We'll now read together from the Heidelberg Catechism and look at the summary 
of Scripture with regards to the introduction, the address of the Lord's Prayer. And you'll be able to find that. You'll be able to find Lord's Day 46 on page 560 of your book of praise. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? To awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that childlike reverence and trust towards God which should be basic to our prayer. God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. Why is there added in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner and to expect from his almighty power all things we need for body and soul. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, today is probably the most appropriate day in the year to be discussing the fatherhood of God. This introduction, this address of the prayer that our Lord gave us, calling out on God as our Father. And more than that, how much more appropriate is it then to think about our response to the Fatherhood of God? There's a story of a king who had three daughters and wanted to know how much they loved him. I love you more than silver And gold, the first one said. I love you more than all of the treasures on earth, the second one said. I love you more than salt, the third one said. A bit puzzled at his daughter's explanation and not particularly excited by it, the king chalked it up to the fact that his daughter was immature. Well, the cook heard of this. And the next morning, she made the king a big breakfast without a bit of salt in it. After tasting the food and pulling a face and commenting on it, the daughter of the king laughed and said, I love you so much that nothing is good without you. We can smile a little bit at this. Of course, there's also much to pull apart with this story. But think about the basic idea behind it. Salt is something that you might not notice in your everyday life. It's very much present every day, but you might not notice it. You might take it for granted. The thing is that if you do take it for granted, you'll suddenly very much notice it if it disappears from your life. Now consider the presence of God in your life. God, your Father. Is His presence something that's so ingrained in you that you would Notice if it disappears? Is it on your heart and on your tongue as you pray to your Father in heaven, I love you so much that nothing is good without you? Now, on reflecting, uh, on, reflecting on this and looking at this story, some of us might be tempted to think back to the relationship that we have had with our fathers and not all of us have necessarily had an easy relationship with our fathers. So that's not something that comes quickly to our tongues. That's part of the brokenness of this world. 
And when we think of our Father in heaven, we can have the tendency to project our earthly Father onto Him. Think of that for a moment. Consider your own Father. What comes to mind when you think of Him? Now think of your Father in heaven. What comes to mind when you think of him? Is there overlap? There should be. Earthly fatherhood is created to be a reflection of God's heavenly fatherly love. And where it was carried out faithfully, we see a reflection of our heavenly father's goodness and grace. His discipline, yes, but also his mercy and his love. But we recognize that our fathers fail as well, don't we? Perhaps our fathers were absent, if not physically, then emotionally, or maybe they failed in other ways. And what do we do then when coming to this first petition of the prayer that Christ Jesus taught us? What do we do then when we reflect on these words, our Father, as we come to God in prayer? We'll look at this under the following theme as we reflect on our Lord's Day, our Father, First of all, a childlike trust, and secondly, a trust fulfilled. Before we read this afternoon, we sang from Psalm 27, verse 5, and we sang these words, My father and my mother may forsake me, but the Lord is faithful and his help is sure. As a child, the most natural thing is to trust your parents more than anything else in the world. They are the first faces you are introduced to as after you come out of the womb. They provide you with love, support, and care. And it's hard to imagine a trust that is greater than the trust that a child naturally places in their parents. Now, as a child grows older, they begin to learn that their parents are not the perfect figures that they first considered them to be. They're fallible. They can make mistakes. And yet they still hold a high position in the esteem of the child. And we think about this when we come to this psalm. We think about this picture that many, many children have of their parents. This this trust and this confidence that my father will take care of me. He'll look out for me. And yet the psalmist has a confidence in his God that goes even deeper than his trust, even in his own parents. They have a confidence in God, whom Paul encourages us here in our passage, Romans 8 today, to call out to as Abba, Father. Now you may have heard that the word translated as Abba in our passage is the Aramaic word for daddy and that this is somehow more intimate than a simple dad or father. This was an idea that was first put forward in 1971 by a popular New Testament scholar, but this is mistaken. There is no other Aramaic word for father. If you were saying dad, you would say Abba. If you were saying papa, you would say Abba, Daddy, Abba, Father, Abba. All of these have that same Aramaic word, Abba. 
But that's not to say that suddenly this word has no intimacy. That's not to say that there's no specialness to it. When the Apostle Paul has us and encourages us to call out to God as Abba, as Father, he has much more that's behind it. He thinks back to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who had such a deep desire to be with his heavenly Father and carrying out the work of his heavenly Father that he, as a 12-year-old boy, was able to find great comfort in being where God had specially revealed himself to be. Even when he was alone with his father, uh, when he was alone and his father and mother lost track of him. And what Christ expressed so early in his life showed itself to be central throughout his life. He would regularly disappear, withdrawing from the public eye to spend that quiet time with his father in heaven. But it was most especially clear in those hours in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was facing crucifixion. He cried out in distress while still expressing complete trust in God with the plan to go forward, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's a faith and a trust in his Father that is beyond measuring. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the future has in store. Our Lord Jesus Christ will continue to be faithful to his Father because his Father will continue to be faithful to him no matter what the future holds. This is incredibly important for us. We don't need to have a particularly special word to be able to find stability in this world we live in. We don't need to have one that rings with a greater amount of intimacy than simply calling on God as Father. We have God as our Father. He grants us a place of certainty and stability in this world. One which we need, especially with the uncertainty that we so often find in it. We find a place of stability where the psalmist shows us that we can find it. The very same place that Jesus Christ found it as a child and as he did in his hour of greatest need in the Garden of Gethsemane. The same place that the Apostle Paul calls us to here in Romans chapter 8. Calling out to God as Abba, Father. Now you cannot have this picture of God as this kind of a father, as a good father, a faithful father, a holy, righteous, and loving father. You can't have this picture of God as your father if you do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord. If you refuse to look in Christ to faith, in faith, you won't be able to find this comfort. But if you can, and if you do, confess that Jesus is Lord, 
If you can, with your heart, confess that he is your Lord, that you are willing to surrender your life to his guidance and put your complete trust in his leadership, holding on to him because you trust that he cares for you, that you love him because he first loved you, then there is evidence that the Holy Spirit is within you and that Jesus is your Lord. Because as we read in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And beloved, if you can confess with confidence that Jesus is your Lord and you're willing to turn it over to him, whatever the consequences and fallout might be, then you can know that it is God who worked that out in you. And you can know that this is in store for you. That this fatherhood of God is freely given to you. That you can put your trust in him as your beloved father. Now don't get me wrong. If we struggle with this picture of God as our father because our earthly fathers have failed us, that doesn't mean that the spirit is not at work in us. And it doesn't mean that Jesus is not your Lord. It means that sin has devastated the pure and right picture of what fatherhood was meant to show us. But this very same spirit who changes you, who changes me, can also change our picture, your picture and my picture of fatherhood. And as a side note, this can transform you and me, men, in our roles as fathers as well. Beloved, if you struggle with that history, then trust in this truth. God is my father, and I'm not condemned to repeat the mistakes and sins of my earthly father. I have a good, good father, and I can look to him in faith. I have a good, good father who models true fatherhood for me so that I, in turn, can model this for those who are in my care. If the Spirit is at work in you in all of these other things and you confess that Jesus is your Lord, you see the fruit of the Spirit rising up in your life and you see yourself growing in love for God and for those who are around you, then you can know that he will be able to make your view of God new into what fatherhood truly is, and he will be able to transform you into a true image of his fatherhood. Fatherhood, as we see it, from the perspective of heaven down, and not from this broken world up, And where this relationship has been fractured and where perhaps we don't have a father picture in our life, we can look up to our father in heaven and know that he is there, that he is that constant and that he will not waver. So we see this evidence of God's grace in us. And we see this evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? 
that means that we can rest in the confidence that we are the adopted children of God. That we can confidently express that the very same Father to whom Christ called out to in his hour of need, that this Father has bought us, that he has made us his own. We can and we will be able to be brought to the place where we can call on God with a childlike trust and with an unshakable and absolute certainty that he will come through. And this brings us to our second point, a trust fulfilled. Now, knowing all of this and reflecting all of this, comparing our relationships with our earthly fathers to that with our Heavenly Father, it's especially important to remember that we're not just praying to our Father, but we're praying to our Father in heaven. As our catechism points out, we are told by Christ to pray to our Father in order to awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that childlike reverence, that childlike trust towards God, which should be basic to our prayer, the trust of a child for his Father. Why? Well, God has become our Father. This is a reality for those who are in Christ. God has become our Father through Christ. And the children of God can trust that He would much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. But there's more to it than that. And pay special attention here. Our catechism describes this beautifully in Lord's Day 9. We read there that in Him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity, whatever difficulty he sends me in this life of sorrow. And what follows that is incredibly important here. He is able to do so as almighty God and willing also as faithful father. He is our faithful father, but he also has the power to do what he wills. Genesis 18, verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing is too hard for him. And he is able to provide us with everything necessary for body and soul as our almighty God, and he's willing as our faithful father. But that's not to say that he will give us whatever we want. Sometimes children can want things that are harmful to them. There are some boys and girls who would want nothing more than dessert for every night for supper for the rest of the year, right? But that would be bad for us. And so we need to keep this principle in mind, that God is not a vending machine. The Lord works not first of all to make us happy, but to make us holy. The Lord works first of all not to make us happy, but to make us holy. So how can I know that he loves me? And how can I know that he care, he'll care for me if this is the case? And there can be a temptation to think that because he's not answering my prayers in the way that I want him to answer them, he doesn't care. This is a lie we tell ourselves. He doesn't care and that must mean that I don't mean much to him as his child. But what does God say to his people? What does he say to those who look to him in faith? 
Deuteronomy 10 verse 15, the Lord delighted in your fathers, only in your fathers, to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is to this day. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 4. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Isaiah 63, verse 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. In their affliction, he was afflicted. He felt the pain of his people. And he feels the pain of his people today. And he is the one who lifts us up and carries us all the days of old. The problem here is not God's love. He is faithful. He has said it and he will do it. More than words though, he's given us his own son. His very own son to redeem you and me as his people. How can you and I possibly doubt God's love in the face of that? If he was willing to give up what was most precious to him for you and for me, how can we possibly doubt his love in the face of that? Yes, but he doesn't answer my prayers. He doesn't answer them? Or he doesn't answer them in the way that we want them to be answered? Remember the end goal of God is not first and foremost our happiness, but our holiness. Our calling is not first and foremost to ask God to make life easier for ourselves. That's not why we are here on earth. Now there's, that's not to say that there's anything wrong to ask that a day could go well today or that things could get better. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the only thing that we are asking God for, then there could be a problem with the perspective that we have when we come to God. Our text in Romans says that if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And the death that's spoken, here, uh, that's spoken of here is the desires of our old and sinful natures. The desires sometimes of what we want, sometimes of what we pursue that can be destructive to us or can be not beneficial to us in the long run. Now, too often we only come to God and ask him for help after we mess up. But how about every day? Do we actively ask God to lead us in the way of holiness, to lead us out of the darkness and into the light, whatever it may be? Do we have, first and foremost, the love of others and the love of God in the forefront of our minds? For some of us, this is the case. And this is a blessing that God has allowed this to happen to us. It's a decision that God has blessed us with. He's blessed this decision and he will bless such a decision. It's a putting to death of the sinful nature and we receive this at the mercy of God. 
But some of us are still trapped in the dark and choosing to stay in the dark. And we don't dare to bring things out into the light. After all, look what happens when you do, you might say. But I can tell you what happens. God's name receives more glory. We are humbled. He leads us in the path of holiness. And he is exalted. And as we are faithful in responding as his children, he is faithful also in caring for us, not dependent on it. But as a mirror image. And when we respond in this way, there is no more barrier between us and him anymore. Do you ever notice that when you're caught up in sin and it feels like there's a barrier between you and God? Now that's not him, that's you and that's me. Because there's shame that's keeping us at a distance from our father. But the reality is that there is no more barrier between us and him anymore because he is the one who's taken it away in Christ. And when we come to him in repentance and faith, out of the darkness into the light, then he has brought everything into the light. And that barrier, even of our own shame, can be taken away. As our passage says, if we live according to the flesh, we will die. This is true. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And how can you be so certain to that? So certain of that? Well, your actions, the actions that you've taken prove something. Your actions prove that you truly are a son or daughter of God. That you are living in what Christ has bought for you. This is what verse 14 tells us. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God in this way, these two, these are sons of God. But I'm so afraid, you might say. I'm so afraid to trust God in this way. As my father. To trust that he'll catch me. I'm so afraid of what will happen. Yes, this may be true. This may be true. But despite the fact that you are afraid... You are able to do this. You're able to do this because of this truth that we see in verse 15. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you received the spirit of, not of courage, not of boldness. You received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Your Father has your back as you pursue holiness in the strength that he gives you. And as you pray for him in pursuit of this goal, in pursuit of following in the footsteps of Christ, he'll give you everything that you need for body and soul. Just keep coming to him. Keep coming to him again and again and again. He has your back. He is your father. 
And as you move forward in this and you grow in this, your inner self will bear witness to this, prompted to this truth by the Holy Spirit himself. This is what verse 16 tells us. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. But we receive this confirmation we receive this growing assurance only as we pursue what God himself pursues for us. We are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And there's the rub. Our fear is so often that maybe God won't be there to catch me. And if I step out into the void, into the abyss like this, maybe God won't be there to catch me. And then what will I have? No one? Will everyone turn against me? Will I be all alone? Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. Come out from among them, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 17 to 18. Our Father has shown himself to be faithful, beloved. And even though my very own father and mother may turn against me, my Father in heaven will be there for me. I may fall, but he will catch me because he has promised. He's a perfect father, and he has already spoken of his love for me. He has already acted on his love for me by being willing to sacrifice, sacrifice what was most precious to him in the world for our sakes. And because of this, beloved brothers and sisters, as we come to the Lord on this Father's Day. Let us love him. Let us love him as our Father. Let us, as it said, love him more than salt because nothing is good without him. Let our every prayer have that childlike reverence and trust based on what he has done and what he has promised. Let his name be glorified as he makes us holy, transforming us from glory from the inside out, bringing us from glory to glory until that final day. Amen.